you would bow with me in prayer before we open God's Word together. Lord, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day. We thank you for this time that we have to gather here together. I thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises, to join our voices, and just uh, to proclaim who you are and what you've done, and uh, that we can rest even in hard times and the things that we see, and that uh, uh, we can sing it as well with my soul because of who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray this morning that as we open your word, that your spirit would lead and guide us in our time, that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds, that you would show us, uh, convict us of things that maybe we need convicting of, but also that you would come right there and just encourage us, pointing us more fully to Jesus, and that uh, our righteousness is found in what he's done for us, and so we can rest in that. We thank you for that. I pray this morning that you would just uh, encourage us, that we would be uh, see you more clearly and grow closer to you in this time. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I have uh, the great privilege of having super cousins. Uh, you may say, well, I have super cousins too, like I have great cousins, and, and I do. I have a great big huge family and lots of awesome cousins. But it's about a very specific set of cousins that we in our family call super cousins. And it's something my, my brothers and sister and uh, then my cousins kind of came up with and talked about. Uh, I would like to say, I think I coined the phrase. I'm pretty sure it was me who came up with it, but Amy may disagree with me. But super cousins, they said super cousins because my mom is an identical twin sister. And so she has an identical twin and they have four kids and there are four kids in our family, all real close in ages. But as we started to think about it, that if you have identical twin sisters, uh, biologically speaking, we're really like half brothers and sisters, right? Genetically, it's almost the same. So we say we're, we're super cousins because we have identical uh, mothers, right? And so it's so close. And so just as we grew up together, as I know the story is with a lot of you, you grow up with your family and those that are close to you. There was just a neat connection with my cousins because partly because of twin sisters as moms. And we could go, hey, does your mom do this? And, oh, yes, she does. You know, it's like they're so similar in so many ways. And so we just had this really close connection together. And we still do to this day. They're some of our dearest friends. And when we get to spend time together, it's wonderful. And because of that, because you're so close and because you care so much for one another and you share all these experiences and all this stuff, when they go through hard things, when they go through suffering, you feel it all the more. Right. So years ago, my uncle Woody, their dad, passed away. He had a very uh, rare lung disease and it ended up killing him. And uh, Woody was a, a godly, sweet man and loved Woody. But when he died, uh, not just love for Woody, but just feeling it through your cousins, your super cousins, right? Feeling what they feel because you're so close. The closer you are in those relationships, the more you feel that loss. The greater the love, the greater you feel those things. Same thing happened when my brother Jed died. Uh, my cousins lived in Colorado and in Texas and all over. And there we are at the, the gathering together, the viewing and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden they walk in and they're there. And I knew immediately they felt all of it the exact same because I remember feeling the same thing being at their dad's funeral. And you just have that connection. And it's the same. uh, You don't have to have super cousins. You don't have to hear that to understand what I'm saying. You know it in your own life, whether it's your children or your spouse, or maybe you have super cousins in your life that that would speak to that. When, When someone that you really dearly care about and love and are so close to when they suffer, you feel that suffering with them. You there walk with them. You probably see it real clearly in your children. When your kids go through hard times, you feel every bit of it, every step of the way. And so you don't have to have cousins like I have or those different things, but your relationships would lead you to go, yes, that's absolutely true. One of the neat things is I look around our church family and the way people are connected and the way they love and care for each other. I see this every week. 
somebody's in the hospital or they're dealing with something or somebody's struggling and people coming alongside and walking with them and feeling it with them as they're dealing with those things. And so we know this to be true in our lives. The people that we're closest to, we feel those things uh, uh, more deeply. The closer the love and the relationship, the more deeply you feel the suffering and the frustrations and the joys. It's not all negative. The, the good things that happen, we celebrate and we rejoice together. And so I mentioned that this morning because this is our third week that we're talking about trusting God in the midst of suffering. And what we said at the very first week is this is a very multi-sided thing. The Bible talks about this a lot in a lot of different ways. And it says it in different kind of aspects and different things. And so there's a lot to it. And the first week we said, as we looked at the book of Job, is that sometimes we will suffer and there will be things that come in our life that are frustrating and hard and we won't understand. There won't be reasons that we can perceive in our limited view. But what you see in the book of Job is that God is still sovereign and he's still in control, even when we can't see it. And then last week we looked at John chapter 11 as Jesus deals with the loss of his dear friend Lazarus and the way he reacts to that and what he sees and what we saw in that. And part of what we took away as we looked at that is even when we can't understand what's going on, God understands what we're going through. He has felt those things as the God who entered into creation and walked with us and he knows those things and he feels it. Uh, he, he knows what we're going through. He feels the same thing. Today I want to take the next step really in kind of where we started last week and to say that what the Bible teaches and what it tells us and points us to is that when we suffer, in our suffering, as we're going through it, God who is infinite and perfect love, He suffers with you. He walks in it with you. He feels it. He knows what you're going through. Just as I feel it with my super cousins when they're suffering because I love them, God loves you infinitely and He feels what you're going through. And so you are never alone in your suffering. And so kind of the banner over this morning, and it'll be a little different how, how we do this than the way I normally would. But I read to you from Psalm 34 just a minute ago. And Psalm 34, verse 18 says this, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And this is not an idea found just in that chapter in Psalm. You see it all the way through Scripture. You see it in a lot of different ways. We could go to Psalm chapter 10 and verse 17, and it says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, and you will strengthen your heart, and you will incline your ear. That when you are afflicted, when things are going on, when they're difficult, God hears, and he will strengthen you, and he will be with you. Right? So you see that in Psalm 10, and you see it in Psalm 34. We could go to all different places that you see this. Isaiah 41:10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And you could take any of those verses and kind of put them over what we're going to talk about this morning. That idea that when we are in the depths of whatever it is, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever's going on, relational suffering, that God feels your pain and he is with you and he is near. And so that's what I want us to think about. And the way I want to do that this morning is I'm just going to give you three snapshots in Scripture that show us that that illustrate that for us in the Bible. And so that's why it's a little different than we normally going verse by verse and looking, but we're going to look at a couple different snapshots of how God does that. One in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament. And so the first one we're going to look at as we think about this, and just the hope as we do is it's a great encouragement of you see how this is true throughout history, how God has revealed in his word that he does this and he is active and he is part of it in the way he meets us in the midst of those times. And so the first one I want us to look at is 1 Kings 
chapter 19, 1 Kings 19. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, we say this each week, page 193. If you need a Bible or you know someone that needs a Bible, those are there for you to take. Take them to them. That's why we have those. Uh, I'll also put that there because it'll be the same version that I'm reading from. And so if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, page 193, 1 Kings 19. And so as we start in 1 Kings 19, and because we're kind of jumping around and just looking at these snapshots, you have to at least set the scene a little bit. Uh, 1 Kings 19 is talking about Elijah. Elijah was God's prophet, and he was going to God's prophets in one of the most difficult times in the history of Israel. Pagan worship, horrible things going on, and he's got the, the task of going out and clearly proclaiming God's word in the midst of all this mess. Now, 1 Kings 18 is one of the great stories that you grow up if you grew up in Sunday school. It was one of my favorite as a kid, if you know 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18 is Elijah against the prophets of Baal. If you you know this story, right? Uh, They get together and it's kind of like a showdown and the prophets of Baal are going to make their sacrifice and they're going to call on their false god. And so Elijah says, yeah, you guys go first. And they get all around, they do all this stuff and they call and nothing happens. And as a kid, I loved it because Elijah says to him, it actually says this, you can look it up in, in 1 Kings 18, maybe your God's gone to the bathroom, right? That's what he says. And that probably tells you a lot about my own personality. I like that he's mocking him and he's kind of telling, you know, but he says this and he kind of calls him out. And so you go through this whole thing and then it becomes Elijah's turn and he makes an altar to the one true God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, douse it in water, cover it completely in water. And so they do. And they put tons and tons of water on it. And then he prays and he calls down and God consumes it in front of him. And it's this incredible picture and people fall down and they worship God and he's calling them to repent and don't have other gods. Don't try to add them to the true God. And so you see this beautiful picture of God showing up and doing this incredible work with Elijah in chapter 18. But here's one of the crazy things. When you get to 19, all of a sudden it's like it changes really quickly, really quickly. To go from seeing this and what's going on, and then you get to chapter 19, and it says this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he'd killed all the prophets with his sword. That was part of it, by the way. Just so you get background. Calls this down. God shows himself, and so the people basically destroy all the prophets of Baal. Right? So they wipe them out. Didn't want to leave that part out. That's probably why I liked it, too, as a kid. There's some serious things going on there. But So that's what happens. And so then she says... Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. And but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he may might die, saying it is enough Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And I want you to just get that picture there. This incredible victory that God shows up, right? Shows up in miraculous form and consumes this this sacrifice. And he shows clearly that he is the true God and these false gods are not it. And all these things. And then they seek to kill Elijah. And he runs off and you can understand the affliction and what's coming at him and what he's seeing And he says, God, I'm just tired. Just take me now. Right. And so you go from this huge victory in chapter 18 to the beginning of 19 where he's going, I'm just done. Right. I'd like it if you just come and kill me. Take me now, God. I'm tired of this. And you see him calling out to God and asking him just to to come take him. 
And you go, what happened, man? This incredible victory, all this stuff that goes on in chapter 18, what he sees God doing, and then just a few verses later, he's like, I'm completely done here. And you go, what's happening with all that? And, and I think about that picture, and I start to just think about that swing of emotion that must have been there, and just ask the question, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever have times in your life where things seem to be going really good and you get really excited about something and then a day or two later all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I can't take this anymore. Do you ever have that swing of emotions in your life? It can happen for all different reasons. Uh, maybe it happens uh, similar to this. You see God show up in a huge way. Maybe it's you come here, maybe it's you go to your missional community, or maybe you get to, as we've been talking about with Ted on Sunday morning, you get to share your faith, or something great happens, or you're doing different things, and you're like, this is so great, and then the next day you're just, I'm so tired. Right? We go through those swings, do we not? I don't think I'm the only one that feels that way from time to time, that it's really good, and then it's really hard, and then it's back and forth, and you see that picture there, and so you go, why is that? What's going on? With Elijah, why is it such a swing? Well, look at what happens in verse nine, because God comes and he's going to ask. I'm going to go back in just a second. I'm just skipping ahead for just a second. God comes and he says, what's kind of what's up with you, Elijah? What's going on? And he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They have killed your prophets with the sword. And I even only I am left and they seek my life to take it away. And so you see. Elijah wants to see revival. He wants to see great change. He wants to see God show up and people's hearts to change and, and them not to be going after idols. It's a good thing that he wants. And he goes, I feel like I haven't made a difference. I'm so tired. And I'm just, you know, that's what he says, right? That's the way he says it. But I want you to go back here for just a second. There's a lot we can look at in this passage, but there's one thing I really just want you to see as we're looking at this. Go back to verse 5 and look at what happens there. So he runs off. And he proclaims, he says, God, just kill me now. I'm so tired. And then look at what happens in verse five. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a head at his head, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And so I want you just to see this picture. He spent. God, I'm ready to die. I'm tired of all this. And here he is kind of at the end of his rope. He, he's what we would say in Psalm 34. He's crushed in spirit. Is he not? It's a pretty good example of that. And what does God do? So says he sends an angel to fix him a meal. Right? He wakes him up and he feeds him and he gives him something to drink. And then he lets him go back to sleep. And then he does it again. He wakes him again and he feeds him again. And then God speaks to him. I, go, I just look, and I know this is just a little snapshot and one little spot in the Old Testament. But man, you see the graciousness of our God in that. Here he is crushed in spirit. People are saying, we're going to kill you, we're coming after you, we're going to do to you like you did to them. We're bearing down on them. And there he is, and God sends his angel to fix him a meal. And he's just there with him, kind of nursing him back. Now God's going to come and speak and tell him what to do next and kind of get him back on his feet. But I love that picture of God is near 
to the crushed in spirit. He's near to the brokenhearted. Elijah's brokenhearted. It's not changing anything. And there's God. I'm not done. And he just, just nurses them back to health. And so you see just even in that snapshot that God is near the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. He hears the afflicted and strengthens us in those difficult times. And so you see that picture just with Elijah. Now, so there's a lot more we can look at in that passage, but I'm going to leave that there. I want you to go to the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 24. Again, that's page 575 if you're using the Pew Bibles. So I'm skipping around a bunch. Make sure I got all the pages so you can find them easy. 575, Luke chapter 24. But let me set the scene for that. What you're going to look at there is starting in verse 13 is what we call the road to Emmaus. If you've heard very famous story, uh, hear that story a lot. We like to talk about it uh, at Easter around that time. It's actually Easter morning. The first Easter. And you've got these couple of guys walking down a road trying to process all that's just happened. And they don't know exactly what's happened yet. And I want you to think about when we try to define crushed in spirit and broken hearted. My mind goes to the disciples when Jesus was crucified. This is the Messiah. He's coming. He's going to do great things. This is it. We found them. They are so excited. The week before, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're throwing things at his feet. They are so excited. And then a week later, he's dead. Talk about being crushed in spirit and brokenhearted at what just unfolded in front of you. Right? As you read through this account, starting in verse 13, these two guys are walking down the road. And that's basically what they're talking about. What happened? What is going on? This was the guy. This is who we had been waiting for and looking to and what happened. And so look at what happens in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other, talking about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Let you just think about that for a second. Right? Jesus shows up. <laughs> crushed in spirit, don't know what's going on, can't figure this out. They're going, I thought this was him. And then Jesus comes. And I love that it says he kept their eyes from seeing that it was him. And I go, man, I think Jesus had a little bit of a sense of humor, or does have a little bit of a sense of humor. What are you talking about? Right? He comes up and he asks them and he starts to walk with them. And they're walking along and look what it says there at the end of verse 17. And they stood still looking sad. They just stopped. Can you get the picture? It's Cleopas, it tells us, and his buddy. We don't know the other guy's name. But they were obviously followers of Jesus. They were seeking to follow after him. They thought he was the Messiah. And they stopped. So they just stood there and looked at him, looking sad. Right? Crushed in spirit. We thought, this is what they say. He says, what are you talking about? And they go, we thought this guy was the Messiah. We thought this was it. He did deeds and he healed people. He was doing all this stuff. And we were so excited and then they killed him. But... We heard maybe he's still alive, right? So that's what they say. And that's the picture is they're walking, but they're like, we can't figure this out and we don't really know what's going on. And they're struggling with it. And so you get to verse 25 and Jesus, it says, he said, Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So God literally 
manifest. Jesus comes and walks with them, draws near, and he begins to teach them. They're missing how all this was supposed to take place. This was always the plan. And Jesus shows up and goes, let me show you that. And he just starts to walk with them. Seven miles, maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Can you imagine Jesus explaining all of the scriptures to you? Oh, you guys, this was all about Jesus, right? And they don't know it's him, but he's pointing them to these things and he's telling them and he's walking with them. And so he meets them right where they are. They are and he teaches them and he encourages and he explains and he says all these things. And then it says in verse 30, they got to where they're going and they said, come stay with us. And so he goes, OK, and he walks in and he sits down, and he sit down at the table and they took the bread and they blessed it and they broke it and they gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized them. And then it says, and then he vanished. He went, See ya. Right. Just think about that picture. What a sweet picture to think you are just floored at what happens and you don't know what's going on. And Jesus shows up and teaches you. And then he sits down and he goes, I'm here. Right. You see, it's kind of like what happened with Elijah. There he is just completely decimated and God shows up and nurses him back to health and speaks into him. Jesus shows up and he walks alongside with him and he speaks truth and he and he spends the time with him and he shows him. And you can go, man, that's awesome. That's a great story. That's really cool. Can you imagine walking down the street and then all of a sudden Jesus is there teaching you? But some of you, if you're honest, you hear that and you go, that's great And that's awesome, but Jesus has never walked up next to me and started strolling down the street with me. That's great, but maybe, maybe you feel that way sometimes. I'm in the midst of this and he didn't just show up right there. But the truth of Scripture of what it tells us, and Jesus himself says this, it's better for you that I go away because I'm going to send you my very spirit. And I am going to teach you and I am going to guide you and I am going to speak to you and I'm going to do it through my spirit now inside of you and then i'm going to put my spirit in all those that i've called all those that i've brought into my family that have professed faith and i'm going to put them in and they're going to speak to you i'm going to use my spirit and all these different people and they're going to speak truth to you and they're going to walk with you and they're going to encourage you and they're going to do that how often we miss that that's going on we forget it we just think oh i'm all on my own and this is And God's put people all around you that are filled with the Spirit that are there to speak truth and to walk with you and help you. I was convicted this week thinking about that. And then I go and I go to lunch with Mike. Mike and I go to lunch. No, I went with David on Wednesday morning. Sorry, David. (laughs) I went with David on Wednesday morning and we talked and prayed together. And you're so encouraged and you leave. And then on Thursday, I went and met with Mike and we're talking about the things that we're struggling with and sin and things in our heart and our pride and how should we handle that. And he speaks truth and he encourages me. And then I come and I sit back and Chaz comes by and he goes, you know, we miss the spirit a lot of times. And it was like, yeah, we do. And here Mike and I are talking about the spirit and the way God's showing us and the way he manifests himself in our life and the way he gives us a love for other people. And then Chaz shows up and starts saying the same thing. I went, now, I'm a little slow, but after all those, I went, Chaz, you, you realize the Spirit's telling you to say this to me right now because of the... He went, yeah, I do. How often we miss that, that he is right there with us and all those things being people, bringing people into your life who are speaking the truth of God's word, led by the Spirit all around you. 
And we look at that story and we go, man, that would be so awesome if that happened. It is. All over. That's the way God's working in his church and with his people. Remember, the church is people. Should I say that? The church is the people, not the building. And so he's using his church, you, with other people to encourage and speak truth, led by the Spirit to do that. The exact same thing that Jesus does with those guys on the road to Emmaus happens every day in this body. I'm so struggling with this. Well, let's look at what the Scripture says. Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. It's the exact same thing. And how often we miss that. But there it is going all around us. See, God is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. He hears and strengthens the afflicted. You see it over and over. And it's the same thing he's doing today. Flip over to Acts chapter 6 for just a second. We're going to look at this last one. And we'll end with this. Acts 6, starting in verse 8, just sets the scene for you. And it's talking about Stephen. And it says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So here's this guy that God's chosen. He's he's full of the Spirit. He begins to proclaim it. God's doing incredible things with him and through him. And then listen to verse 10. I just want to ask the question. Man, I'd love for this to be the way people see me or you or us as a body. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. That ever happened to you? I so want that to happen. I want people to go, man, that guy knows God. And the way that the spirit with which he's speaking and the wisdom that they I want what Ted shared in Sunday school. Right? He talked about walking into a place and God went, Whoa, he's filled with the spirit. That's what I think was happening with Stephen. Whoa. What's going on with this guy? And they couldn't stand it. And so what they did is it says they instigated men who were going to say he's speaking blasphemy so they could put him on trial. And they bring him in front of them. And they say, what do you have to say for yourself? Right? That's a scary thing to ask a man who is filled with wisdom in the spirit. What do you have to say? Well, watch out. That's chapter seven. Right. So he says, I'll tell you. And he goes through the whole of scripture. He begins to show them everything that points to Jesus. And he starts to boldly proclaim it. Full of wisdom in the Spirit. And he gets to, if you flip over chapter 7, verse 51, he gets to the end and he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you've now betrayed and murdered. You who have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Right. So not only does he lay out all of Scripture, he calls them out. He says, you stiff neck, the spirit is bearing witness to this and you're missing it. It was all about Jesus. And they get furious, says verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. They lost it, right? Rage raises up in them and they're so angry at what he said that he's talking about Jesus. Remember, their contention here is that Jesus is not God, that he's not the Messiah. He's not God. That's why they're uh, saying he's being blasphemous because he's equating Jesus with God. And then look at what happens in verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. I want you to think about that picture in the midst of that. Being brutally murdered for proclaiming that Jesus is God. That's what's going on here, right? That's the picture that you see. Their contention is Jesus is not God, and he says he is. And so they brutally murder and kill him. And yet in the midst of that, he says, God... Please don't hold this against them. What a picture of the Lord being near the afflicted. There's no way he says that, says that other than in the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't go, God, please forgive these people as they're brutally murdering me. Unless you're just filled with God's Spirit. And you see this incredible picture. But I want you to go back for just a second because there's something else there. That when we think about God being near the afflicted, being near the crushed in spirit, being near the brokenhearted. And when you read that and you look at verse 55, but it says, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It tells us throughout scripture, you see it in Matthew, you see it in Luke, you see it in Colossians, you see it in Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 10. And as Jesus finished his work, he went up and he sat down at the right hand of the father. He finished it. And he sits down, it says he sits down, and in Romans it tells us that he, he lives in Hebrews and in Romans to intercede for us. That he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But when you read this, it says he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's gazing into heaven. And Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. So Stephen, who's proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, is being killed brutally. And he looks up and Jesus is standing up. He says, I got you. You're mine. I've got you right now in the midst of this. And they're killing you. And Stephen looks at that and he goes, forgive him. That's all he's got. You look at that picture. Right? Jesus stands up. He lives to intercede. He so feels the suffering of his children that right in the midst of whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, whatever's going on, whatever's weighing on you, whatever's pushing in on you, he's got you. He's right there with you all along the way. It's not like, oh, he forgets about you. It's not just in some general sense. It's he's with, he is near us in our suffering. He's right there with us. I started this morning thinking about saying, how much you love someone that you feel it, right? We feel how much uh, we care about other people. We, we feel that in that when the closer you are, the more you love them, the more you feel their suffering. And there's Jesus who willingly left his throne and came to us and laid down his life on your behalf and mine, gladly took your sin, said, I will pay for it, all you do is you put your faith in me and I give that to you as a gift. He's proven how much he loves you. You think of the way we feel it 
and other people that we love and then multiply that by infinite the way God loves you and the way He feels it. And so when you look at that picture, when you see all of this, when you look at all these snapshots, and by the way, there's a lot more in Scripture. That's not near all of them. But every single one of those, you see God is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. And He hears and He strengthens the afflicted. And so in the midst of our suffering, it's not just that God is sovereign over it. And it's not just that He knows what we're going through. But He's actually there with us. What a mighty, mighty God we serve. Let's pray. God, we thank You. I thank You for this picture of Elijah. I thank You for the picture of Cleopas and his friend. And I thank you for this picture of Stephen. Just the ways that you continually come alongside us and encourage us and and walk with us. I thank you for surrounding us with people that are filled in your spirit to encourage us to walk with us in those things. I pray that we'd be quick to, to see that, that we wouldn't take that for granted, that we would remember and we would see it, that we would profess it as we see it happening, that we would encourage one another with that. I thank you for the many, many blessings of of the way you care for us and the way you've shown us this over and over. And we thank you for the great gift of your word that you record these things for us to show us clearly the ways you love us. And uh, all we can say is thank you. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.